Welcome to the Infernal Schoolhouse Podcast. Explosions and fire. I'm Brian. And I'm Aaron. And today we are honored to have Baron Narop, the Dungeon Master's Dungeon Master of the YouTube channel Dungeon Masterpiece, return to our show to chat about the old school renaissance. Welcome back, Baron. Hey, thanks for having me back. Absolutely. So to get us started, Brian is not super familiar with OSR as a newish player. Uh, and I know that some of uh, our players never truly experienced it. What would be your own personal brief description or elevator pitch of the OSR movement? Okay, so the the OSR kind of got started at the beginning of third edition in like 2001 or so. It was kind of a reaction and an attempt to put on the rose-colored glasses of third edition's existence. And what I mean by that is the SRD for third edition and... The OGL came out and some really smart people recognized that you don't have to follow the SRD explicitly. And the OGL gives them a lot of legal protection to go back to the other editions of the game, even though they weren't explicitly released in SR SRD material. You could go back to the older editions of the game. And as long as you weren't copying everything word for word, you could kind of just, you know, polish up the rules and republish them as what became known as a retro clone. So this is how games like Castles and Crusaders, Labyrinth Lord, Old School Essentials, Osric, that kind of um, genre of stuff. Basic Fantasy is another good one. That's how all of this stuff came about. And it was basically each person or group of people's interpretation of older editions of the game, be that, you know, Beck me first edition, second edition. Well, I don't think there was a, a true second edition clone for quite a while. Original D&D, etc. They basically just went through the rules, polished them, and republished them so that people could still play older editions of the game now that third edition had come out and those games were no longer supported by TSR, obviously, because it was a defunct company. That's, that's where it started. Since then the OSR has kind of taken on this really weird cultural twist that I don't think I've seen in any other like nerd subgenre that exists elsewhere. I've never seen it anywhere. Maybe in the Star Trek franchise fanboys that argue over who's better, Kirk or Picard. But so there's two, there's two camps, two factions within the OSR community. And OSR, just so we're clear, stands for old school renaissance, but it also could be old school revival. And, you know, I jokingly mock it sometimes and call it old school Rococo. And that will make more sense as we get into this discussion. But so the so the two major factions are still identified as OSR. And then the other one is Grognard. Grognard is kind of like the the traditionalist, the purist who believes that, you know, Original D&D is the way that it was played the Gygaxian way. And you can play D&D as long as it looks the way Gygax played it up until 1984 or whatever. Right? Like that. Don't cross that line. Uh, so they're very, very traditionalist and very protective of the way that D&D looked in its early days. And then there's the OSR camp, which says, hey, we can use all of these rules to do really creative and flexible stuff because the rules are so flexible and modular. So you start getting really zany, bizarre kinds of expressions of creativity that most of Grognardia would wholesale reject nowadays. But, you know, just really interesting offshoots and 
you know, reimagination of the rules. I think some of the most zany and useful rule sets to come out of the, the movement more recently to look at are going to be Into the Odd, which kind of kicked off its own little subgenre because it gets away from using attack rolls. It just straight up uses damage and then subtract armor. It's a really refreshing take Ooh. on keeping the game moving forward. And then another one would be Troika, which personally I'm not into playing, but I highly respect as kind of like a thesis, like a doctoral thesis paper as a game on game design while the doctoral student candidate was high on acid. Like, <laughs> like one of the character classes, I think, is a multi-gendered manticore. So like if that, if that gives you an idea, like you can, it just goes completely off the rails. It's absolutely hilarious. So They're like uh, you wanted something new. You didn't say I couldn't be on drugs to create it. Exactly. Exactly. So th those are kind of the two ones that are really pushing it. And then I would also say if you want like a, a good distilled definition of what the OSR community is kind of systemically building off of, I would look at Ben Quilton's Knave and especially his Knave 2E. That's kind of like what everyone, he, he was really good at distilling kind of the, the zeitgeist idea of what OSR was and turning it into an actual rule set. Like, what is the, what is the common knowledge that everyone is expressing here? And he turned those into rules. So those are probably the ones I would look at. Excellent. I think going forward, pulling fifth edition concepts into the OSR, which we're seeing a lot of now, the two that stand out, Five Torches Deep kind of paved the way for people's appetite of that. But the absolute clear standout is going to be Shadow Dark RPG by Kelsey Dion at Arcane Library. So anyway, that's that's kind of like the historical lead up in five minutes or less. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it's definitely one of those things that could go on and on and on. Uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's great. But yeah, like an, uh, I, I know you asked for an elevator pitch, but it's kind of hard to give one because there's just so much context there. Well, that needs I mean, to... it's like an Empire State <laughs> Building elevator pitch. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, Empire State Building elevator pitch. There we go. We are now at the corporate penthouse at the top. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. So I think you maybe gone, have gone into this a little bit, but I, what I'm okay. interested in is the development of new games. Do you have to sort of be on the OSR side or can you just develop a new game? You know what I mean? Like, do these things have to be mutually exclusive? And how would I understand the difference between a new role-playing game and a OSR or a Grognard offshoot? Uh, okay. So if we're talking about, well, if we're talking about just, you know, game design in general, um, an OSR compatible game is just going to kind of speak the same or similar language as all the other ones, just because... They're kind of just a collection or a, or a family of games that fall into that. So obviously, you know, like, how do I say this? The games made by the Grognard and played by the Grognards are equally cross-compatible because they speak the same language. They just have different dialects, if that makes sense. Like, on paper, they read the same, but the way that they use them is not necessarily the same. Like, you can... You know, like the difference between Catalan and Spanish 
on paper can kind sometimes be kind of stark, but or maybe Catalan isn't the best example. But like Spanish and Italian are mostly cross intelligible, if that makes sense. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's it's more of, you know, what is your intent of the rule set that you're trying to play more than, you know, how do you know that you're designing an OSR game? Is it, does that answer your question or were you were you po- poking at something else specific? No, no I think that's helpful I, because, you know, what Aaron had said at the top, I wasn't really familiar with this movement, but as I was digging into it and watching videos, you know, some of your videos, it turns mm-hmm. out that I've heard of a lot of this stuff. It was just the context that I was missing. Yeah. Um, so like the Shadow Dark RPG that you just talked about, I've heard so many great accounts of this game and it sounded really, really cool to me, um, but I just wasn't able to sort of like map it out in this way. Absolutely. And just for the record, I like to throw like kind of a, a caveat on this. LCD own of Arcane Library who wrote Shadow Dark, I routinely call her the lineage holder of Digaxian D&D and like what that looks like as kind of a trailblazer going forward. I think a lot of people would agree with me mostly on that when I say that. Like she grew up playing D&D in Wisconsin with some of Gygax's original players. Like that's how she learned to play D&D. And she also used to be employed or do some contract writing for Wizards of the Coast at one point. And she's worked on 5th edition material. So, you know, she she was in a prime situation and around all of the right culture and people to make this game what it is. And I think that, it, you know, it, it sh- its success shows just her lineage in that, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. that's totally cool. That's awesome. Okay, so let me uh, let me switch it around a little bit there. You know, in, in a lot of our VTTs we have now, obviously we're excluding uh, Watsi from this one because I think theirs is going to be pretty uh, regimented in what you can and can't do within it. You know, what sort of OSR elements do you think people can bring into VTTs now and hopefully for the future that kind of bring those elements into the game and make it more fun? Right. So the, the main thing that makes uh, OSR useful in a VTT experience is the emergent storytelling that comes out of dungeon crawling. There's just a lot of like environmental procedure around exploring a dungeon, not just in older editions of D&D, but also in these retro clones. So, you know, using a VTT in order to exemplify marching order and help kind of just computationalize a lot of these procedures and systems around dungeon crawling are really useful for a game master and not have to like flip through a bunch of reference books at the table. So I think there's a lot of use there in the VTT. Uh, I know, for example, that there's quite a lot of support for first edition advanced D&D in Roll20. Um, and if I were a, personally a user of VTTs, that's probably something I would be looking at. On the other hand, uh, like me personally, I just have the procedures mostly memorized and I just do them in my head. So, nice. you know, I, I'm, I'm using stuff like Owlbear Rodeo, but there's definitely support for stuff like that in Roll20. So even though the games are not necessarily like combat tactical heavy, like the way 5th edition is, it's it still definitely benefits from understanding like marching order, position of characters and hallways, understanding the the breadth and depth of the dungeon of the dungeon and the monsters that are in it and their location relative to the player's player characters within the dungeon. Excellent. That's awesome. 
So for dungeon masters who are looking to introduce either OSR elements to their games or to start playing these some of these OSR clone games, what advice do you have? And just, I guess, maybe to lead the witness a little bit. One thing that I've heard you talk about that I think is really interesting about some of these games is this concept of character mortality. <laughs> and I think 5th edition very much softens that. And I, and I know that, for instance, I've heard in Shadow Dark and some of these others that if you're, you have to be really, really careful with your character because if they die, they're dead. Goodbye. Oh, yeah. They're, they're just dead. That's it. There is, they're, Shadow Dark softens the OSR somewhat, but not near as much as 5th edition does. Shadow Dark, for example, when your character drops to zero hit points, you roll a d4, and that's how many rounds you have left before your character dies, and they need to be, you know, resuscitated or, or bandaged up in that time before their character completely bleeds out. So there is a little bit of, you know, safety net there in Shadow Dark to soften death somewhat, but in older editions of the game, it was entirely possible up to roll up a one-hit point wizard and when you drop to zero hit points and you only got one spell, like that was it. Your character's done, bro. So, you know, like fatality was definitely a thing. As far as other stuff beside character fatality that I think is interesting to look at is, you know, it's, it's interesting to go and read the fifth edition rules and see a lot of like cultural ideas that kind of earwormed their way into fifth edition that when you think about them without the context of the older editions of the game don't really make a lot of sense so for example you'll notice that like the ranger ability and most of the uh the dragon regional effect abilities happen within six miles like why six that doesn't make any sense, right? Like, why not five? Five is a more arbitrarily round number. Why six? Well, it's because older editions of the game kind of expected dungeon masters to operate their game world in, in a hex crawling format. And each one of these hexes was an area roughly six miles across. So if you moved into, if your player characters moved, procedurally moved into a piece of terrain with a hex that was six miles across and there was a dragon regional effect or, you know, the ranger had a particular terrain ability that operated within one of these six miles. It was basically just a heads up to the dungeon master. Hey, when your ranger enters this particular forest, they have in this hex these particular abilities. So I think, you know, with that being said, there were a lot of ideas that kind of pressed some old school vibes that are easily stapled onto some of these procedures that unfortunately the Dungeon Master's Guide just simply doesn't talk about. It did a really poor job of like handling environmental storytelling through these kinds of procedures like hex crawling and dungeon crawling. I don't really have a good resource off the top of my head that I can point you to other than to just go get the first edition advanced Dungeon Master's Guide off of drive through RPG and read it. That's that's probably one of the better standouts. Let's see. Is there any anything else? But yeah, part of part of the the secret, you know, the open secret of my channel was to teach fifth edition dungeon masters some of these concepts about dungeon crawling and and, and wilderness exploration that I pulled from the OSR. So taking OSR sensibilities 
from from that genre and applying them to fifth edition because there's still a lot of useful stuff there even though i don't really play fifth edition much anymore i definitely did when i started my channel so I, I would i would be curious your opinion of this what effect i, I guess if any would the release of what i would call D infinitum have on the osr movement probably none whatsoever excellent <laughs> yeah if anything okay so you know if we look at different editions of osr there is kind of a kind of a movement to take concepts from each edition that has come after second edition and kind of reimagining what they might look like if they were kind of in this in the same family as these retro clones so for example like i said five torches deep and shadow dark did a pretty good job of of reimagining what fifth edition would look like if it were an osr game mm. and, th and i think that that would be the effect that we would see somebody would look at you know whatever this proverbial sixth edition is that's about to drop this year and say okay what are the what are the core concepts that are actually making this game work how are they different from the osr how would they translate to be in the osr and then that would be the new retro clone that somebody would produce nice which actually sounds pretty cool to me yeah. <laughs> so I'm really interested in the the culture that surrounds the OSR and all these things and wanting to get more into it. And I understand that there's a pretty lively zine scene going on out there as well. Sure. They're super colorful. Yeah. And if you're interested in just inspirational stuff and don't mind doing conversion from OSR into whatever game you play, like it doesn't matter if you play, what is that, Free League, Dragon Bane or something like that, or, you know, Pathfinder, there's still a lot of great OSR zines that you can draw inspiration from to apply to these more crunchier games. Love it. Are there any titles that you can think of off the top of your head as recommendations? As recommendations? Ooh, in the zine community. I think probably one of the better zines standing out to just blast your face in the fire with a fire hose of OSR material is going to be the Knock series. I will... I think they're, they just started their fourth edition and it's not like a consistent magazine. They just release a zine whenever they release a zine and they're ready to do it. So look up knock or like as in the spell knock. It's super zany. All kinds of inspirational stuff going on in there. My, my critique honestly is that it, the magazine is just so disorganized that it's not really useful at the table, hmm. which I lament. But as like a inspirational preparatory pool, it's absolutely fantastic. Beyond that, I would also recommend if you're just interested in checking stuff out and want like a trickling flow of information of where to look, the Gladiscent is a newsletter run by Questing Beast on YouTube. So one, go subscribe to Questing Beast. But two, sign up for his new newsletter, the Gladiscent, and he does like a monthly release of just all the cool stuff that's going on in the OSR and points points out all of the the noteworthy stuff that has developed over the past month. So that, that that's a really good way to quickly get immersed in the creativity of of that community. Excellent. Thank you. Very cool. No problem. So I know that you do have some stuff going on outside of your YouTube channel, but is there anything you wanted to talk about today that we haven't mentioned or any updates on other stuff you have going on right now? I will say that I just finished an absolutely Herculean live stream. Yes, on New Year's Eve, 
I attempted to make a 365 room mega dungeon in 10 hours. I didn't quite get done. And I live streamed for 12 hours. I probably would have gone longer, but Indestructo Boy informed me that the video on demand recording limit is 11 minutes and 50 or 11 hours and 55 minutes. So that's where we cut it off. That's that was where we were done. But that being said, it was an a really interesting Iron Man type of thing to do. And I'm really proud of the results. And it wasn't just me. There were like 10 other YouTubers, 12 other YouTubers that like jumped on and, and pitched in and helped. I wrote using Maze Rats, which I think I mentioned before. No, I've mentioned Nave. Maze Rats is another game made by Questing Beast and or Ben Milton from Questing Beast. But the real use of Maze Rats, it is a playable game. But the real use is the absolutely wonderful random tables that are in the book, mm. just that you can pull inspirational stuff from. And I made a software application that pulls in maze rats and uses generative AI to take prompts from the user and maze rats and like mishmash them together in this weird way and output them as kind of like systematized random prompts exploded by AI. I don't know how to describe succinctly without talking about the software itself. And I'm not going to talk about the Python code I wrote, but you know, it it was, it was, it was a really cool tool to just kind of like brainstorm general ideas Mm. with another YouTube YouTuber and have this AI explode those ideas out into like a full, you know, mood board or word cloud to pull even more inspiration from. And, uh, you know, 12 hours was a lot. I didn't eat hardly enough. And when the stream was over, I stood up and my knees nearly buckled out from underneath me because I didn't, (laughs) I didn't realize how hungry I was. It was pretty, it was pretty wild. So, but uh, yeah, that was really cool. And we raised money for charity for that, you know, so go check out that on my channel, at least watch the, like the first 15 minutes. Cause I kind of talk about like how to design a mega dungeon and then watch the last five minutes because the last five minutes are wild and still collaborative. <laughs> but other than that, I mean, I'm I'm kind of working on a stronghold management system that I hope to be releasing soon. We'll see how that goes on Kickstarter. That's just a small project. And then myself and another content creator, Veltenbauer Club, a guy who does mostly tabletop crafting. We've been working for like three years now on a on a campaign setting very very gonzo very 1990s crpg kind of thing so you know i don't think there's anything particularly groundbreaking there but it'll be fun we'll see how it goes sweet Uh, are you expecting to bring that out this year maybe maybe i don't know Uh, (laughs) (laughs) it'll it'll be done when it's done we used to keep we're six months out yeah we're nine months out and then you know the timeline just kept growing but we want it to be done before we take it to Kickstarter. That way we don't run into issues. Like, I don't want to put ourselves in the same situation that Matthew Colville's team is currently in, where they have some however many millions of dollars and a clear budget now that they have to be done by a calendar day. And it's just, you know, if it's only 80% done, then it's not a complete product, but they have to ship it anyway. I don't want to be in that situation. So, yeah. yeah. Good planning. Yeah. Yeah, that poor guy looks tired right now. He looks exhausted. Totally exhausted. His whole team does. And I like, and hats off to them for trying to do this. But holy cow, I'm not sure. I like, 
no shade, but I'm not sure I would put myself in that situation. <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. Yeah. Brian, do you have anything else you want to talk with Baron about? No, that was amazing. I have a full page of notes here, but I Excellent. think I'm going to... I think I'm going to start with these zines because I think that sounds like a more of a, like a bite-sized way to introduce myself and kind of immerse myself in the culture a little bit. So thank you for those recommendations specifically. Absolutely. And then I ha- I chose for my background today on this uh, call something from Shadow Dark, and that oh, one yeah. really stuck in my head too. So definitely thinking of picking that one up and just learning more about it because I just have heard such great things about it. Uh, I think the big saying just for the viewers because we were talking earlier about like what kinds of things can we pull from the osr into our regular games that aren't in the osr space i think the one thing that shadow dark really hammers on and highlights no pun intended here is to attack the light you know fifth edition has a lot of hand waviness about light because or visibility because it seems like every single character class has dark vision Mm -hmm. but Shadow Dark does a really good job of like systematizing when the torches go out, what happens when the torches go out, coming up with systems for monsters to attack the people who are holding the torches and trying to knock the torches out of their hand. <laughs> you know, you know, because shit gets real wild when it's dark in a dungeon. <laughs> That's for sure. Dark <laughs> shit gets real wild in the basement when you don't have light, let alone it. I know, right? <laughs> so, you know, the you know, there's there's really cool stuff like that. So, you know, besides the the torchlight thing that Shadow Dark uh, really drives home well, look up, just do a general Google on hex crawling or go watch my video on hex crawling. Hex crawls what we get wrong. Those, those are probably, the, and I have a follow-up video to that one, dungeon crawling as well. Go check those out. <laughs> we'll put both the links in our description as well. Awesome. <laughs> Well, thank you for being on here today. It's been awesome talking with you. We'd love to chat with you again. There's plenty of plenty of topics that uh, we'd love to you know chat about. But thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And thanks, everyone, so much for listening this week. Please check us out on our Instagram or at our website, infernalschoolhouse.com. Oh, and we sell stuff on Etsy, too. Thanks, everyone.